You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to TF3. This week we're talking about the Champions League. There's a live Q&A in the middle. Um, apparently done over a Guinness and a beer. And uh, we're going to finish it all off with some more content. Uh, it's good to have Nico and Chris here. Nico, good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And of course, Chris Hennage, journalist, man, the myth, the legend. Evening. Uh, it's very good to have you guys. Uh, let's get straight down to it. The Champions League and of course Europa League. Uh, both happened. There's been a lot of exciting stuff going on there. The massive result coming out of that 3-1 at Wembley to Spurs against, uh, well, I mean, you know, a, a less than impressive Real Madrid team at the moment, Chris. But I think obviously when you go back to back as Champions League um, champions, that comes with a huge uh, weight to it. And at this point in the season, there's a lot of times where that may have weighed a little too strong on the likes of Zidane and Ronaldo and for some weird reason at this point they they really look out of sorts they do I think I think it's something like 30 games uh, 30 group games or something they've, they've, they've been unbeaten in and and yet their qualification last season wasn't tremendous if you remember um, they had a tough time against I think it was Legia Warsaw in Poland and and it's it's easy to pull out numbers and say well this is a huge cause for concern the first time that Zidane has lost back to back games as Real Madrid manager in I admit a very brief career as a coach um, I think what is concerning if you're a Real Madrid fan is how tepid they looked um, I think we can praise Spurs rightly so for exacting a game plan and knowing what they wanted to do and and being very organised and diligent and particularly the performance of Harry Winks in the middle someone who I think was a lot less cautious than he was at the Bernabeu which is totally understandable I'm certainly not criticising him when I say that um, you look at just the first goal for example his pass to Trippier it's, it's one of those weird things where when you look at stats on, on websites like Squawker and who scored he won't necessarily get credit for the part that he plays in that build-up but it's still a hugely influential moment Um, and I think yeah that's that's my concern watching Real Madrid is that there was just moments where the likes of Ramos and and Casemiro and Cruz and Modric they just didn't seem up for it I know that it sounds like a a huge cop-out of an intangible when when we discuss this kind of thing I, I just didn't see something from them and 
you have to think maybe there's just a little bit of wear and tear from what they've done because it's it's I guess since Zidane has come in it's almost felt non-stop you know it's been a Champions League Club World Cup La Liga all these things constantly moving forward um, that have, have had to try and be delicately balanced and, and eventually I think it's it's caught up with them a little bit saying that you look at the, the landscape of their group I think there's no chance that they don't qualify yes they'll go second which means theoretically they have a harder path from the, the knockout stages up but I, I still think you would be naive to consider them uh, out of the tournament or, or out of the latter stages at least just because of this fall well, I mean that. I mean, it is it's interesting, isn't it, Nico? Because obviously, what Chris brings up there, there's a lot of conflict within that for a lot of people who are trying to write at the moment. Um, but what I do find interesting, what I've maybe been picking over the bones of, and listening to other journalists speak about Real Madrid, and um, people talk about Real Madrid in the past, a lot of the management, and I'm, I'm not trying to take away from what Zidane said. I think what Zidane did was very good. A lot of the on-field management was very often done by a lot of those experienced players who had excellent game management skills. And they were backed up and they, you know, like, like a lot of people are talking about a deep squad, talking about losing Hammers, talking about losing a couple of other key um, influential figures, uh, maybe off the pitch as well. But Zidane has made some changes uh, formationally during games where you think, uh, I think, so for instance, there have been a few games where when they've been in a difficult position, he's gone, I'll change the formation and match up against the other side and we're a more powerful side so maybe we'll do better and that's not worked um, whereas in previous seasons it did work or you know uh, there were very small changes where it would negate what the opposition did and I think you know even Dave last season was sort of you know speaking about the levels of genius that he was going through uh, and at times it felt a bit hyperbolic and I guess they, they are fantastic and a lot of people like me have tipped them at the beginning of the season because we thought well you know Barcelona aren't looking as strong as they did there's a lot of small problems which might trip them up but there is something about it that um, now people like Pochettino there's a few clever managers who have come up with solutions to the Zidane system yeah I think maybe to, to hone in specifically to, to what you're talking about in terms of uh, Zidane's tactical changes I think there is uh, relevance to what Chris is saying in terms of some of their better players not necessarily looking up for it. I would say that this is one of those games that I think it was the first time in a couple of years that I've actually seen Tony Cruz not be amazing. Uh, some of his passwords were wayward, which was is really you know not uh, characteristic of a player of his quality as well as Luka Modric to look a little bit lost. And I wouldn't say that uh, Tony Cruz's form was necessarily by design or affected by Spurs in, in, you know, in a major way. But I would say that, you know, like you're mentioning, Pochettino is a clever manager and he sort of worked out how to how he can best combat this uh, this really effective Real Madrid formation and, and system. And I think. The best thing that, that Spurs can take away from this performance is the communication that their back line shared, which is a really important thing to do when you're playing against the likes of Benzema and Ronaldo. I think for a, a number of years now, what they've really thrived from is having really athletics, uh, really athletic uh, fullbacks and, and center backs to some extent, but more importantly, fullbacks. Uh, and then the, the it's sort of that combining with the off-ball movement of someone like Benzema and Ronaldo. And so when you're dealing with these two players, it's really important that your back line is connected through communication because regardless 
regardless of the sport that you're looking at, the most efficient defenses communicate. And that's what Eric Dyer, that's what, uh, you know, Sanchez and, and Toby Alderweireld while he was in the game were doing really effectively. And that's how they negated that. And not only that, but they were able to communicate so well that they held a really high line and used that as a basis for their pressing. And that really disheveled Real Madrid because more often than not, they can impose themselves upon their opposition. They can get their fullbacks forward. And I think that is the major thing here is that they were able to make Real Madrid uncomfortable. And then when Zidane adjusted tactically, when he put Marcelo and Hakimi higher up the pitch to squeeze in uh, in Spurs' uh, wingbacks uh, and cause some issues, that's when Spurs really advanced because the, the best time to advance on a, an attacking formation is when their fullbacks have completely gone up the field because then they're the most open that they can be and Tottenham were able to enact you know some really efficient counterattacks. So I think Zidane tried to adjust the game to, to adjust to the game as well as he could but Pochettino was simply waiting for it. It was a, it was a trap that he had set. So it was a really impressive performance for me defensively from Spurs. But I, another thing that I'll also like to highlight was, you know, Eric Dyer's flexibility is another thing that, you know, we talked about in the earlier pod this week is a, is a thing that was a major effect on this game. Because maybe as we saw in some of the other Champions League games, when a player goes out of the formation, the starting 11, that can completely change the tactical idea. Or maybe you have to go with uh, different personnel for your preferred tactical idea and that can really mess things up whereas Eric Dyer slotting in for Toby Alderweireld in that three man or five man central defense didn't change the tactical idea at all and didn't change the performance of that tactical idea and that was so important because then they didn't have to make a major change so Pochettino really came to play that day and I think he he did it exceptionally well yeah it certainly is an interesting one that I think um it, it obviously it's it's been fantastic for Spurs in that sense as well and uh looking forward to the weekend and Spurs um, there's I mean they're, they're playing Crystal Palace this weekend Chris it couldn't be uh, more of a contrast for them yeah and I think it's it's funny that a lot of Spurs fans are all almost expecting um, even if they're joking when they say expecting to lose 1-0 to, to an Andros Townsend goal or something silly like that I think this is where continuity is uh, huge for, for Spurs because I think <clears throat> Look, I've I've said fairly recently on on Twitter that I think sometimes we are too binary in our uh, assessments of, of situations. That one minute Pochettino's a, a bit of a failure for losing against Man United. Now he's a a success again because he's beat Real Madrid. I think what you have to do is you have to stand back and look at things holistically and, and assess that yes, his record against the top six is a problem, but also consistency from Champions League to Premier League that transition is not something he's always managed very well. And I think this is where he has to now stand up and, and take a game, which is, I think, very, very winnable for uh, for Tottenham and get the job done. Because in a lot of ways, this game is set up very well for Crystal Palace because, um, I hope I'm using the terms correctly here, Hodgson likes to use a deep block. Um, did I say that right, Nico? I believe so. Yeah, he's he's sort of a medium block, deeper block manager at times. Yeah, awesome stuff. And he will counterattack. Sometimes he likes and, and, to drop a b- block. And and what I've seen is he'll he'll try and use counterattacks. He'll try and get the likes of Zaha, Townsend, Loftus Cheek um, in positions where they have space to run into because that's where players like that thrive. And then if Kabai can put them into those positions from a, a deeper role. Um, in the heart of midfield alongside Mil- Milo Djevic, um, 
that it's it's where they find most success I think Crystal Palace and so how do then Spurs manage that with the fact that there's going to be some tiredness in there that's totally normal um, yet you have to lead the game Palace aren't going to come out and attack if anything they'd be quite happy with a point from, from Spurs so I think yeah this is another interesting examination and almost another puzzle piece if you will into the the bigger picture that is Mar- Mauricio Pochettino at Spurs Elsewhere, Nico, obviously Chelsea uh, had quite a conclusive loss uh, midweek to Roma. Uh, Roma um, themselves, though, didn't look uh, fantastic. And I think uh, in some ways that's going to be encouraging to Chelsea that they'll feel like they lost out on small margins in this game. But then uh, certain players also admitting that that, that's very frustrating because they didn't feel like the team had the drive in the second half to make up the difference between those small margins and, you know, the the great Al Sharawi double in the first half and then topped off by Diego Perotti in the second to make it 3-0 to Roma um, and essentially mean that Chelsea are only, well, I mean, that they're, they're not in the driving seat that they wanted to be in. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying there, I think this is more of a game that Chelsea lost as opposed as, as opposed to one that Roma won. Um, neither side was particularly brilliant. And I think the majority of the goals that uh, Chelsea conceded were down to stupid mistakes. I think the third goal was really uh, a really good Roma counterattack, but the first two were kind of stupidities that they weren't able to rectify. And, uh, you know, I think there are encouraging signs there for for Chelsea to a certain extent because they can look at themselves and say, we know we can perform better than that. But at the same time, I think this is sort of, as I mentioned maybe a few weeks ago, this is sort of where I believe Conte's ideas and team really start to implode because he doesn't seem to have too many ideas outside of his first 11 and when he plays players and and when he does certain things that don't incorporate the key aspects of that formation the key players in that formation that in that tactical idea then they can look really flat and i think that's what we saw against roma is that they needed we haven't seen too many like amazing comebacks from Chelsea because I think once Antonio Conte is beaten from the first whistle in a sense if the tactical idea is better uh, as we've seen uh, Jose Mourinho do against him last season then it's very difficult for Conte to chase a game because he can't it doesn't seem like he can cope very well and so that's sort of where I start to worry about this Chelsea team is that they're so thin they they don't have the greatest depth of squad and then in terms of tactical idea they're very thin Um, I just kind of worry about not only their Champions League uh, aspirations, but their their league aspirations, because as we've seen and we've talked about a number of times from Chelsea, is that they have a very short sighted model, which I don't necessarily think is a criticism, but I think you know we could see a shorter period for Antonio Conte than than maybe we originally thought when they were lifting that champ that um, Premier League trophy. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, we'll see this weekend when they play Manchester United. Big game for them, really big game. Um, and obviously a big game for Manchester United, Chris, who uh, won 2-0 against Benfica. Uh, a very promising Benfica side, and the Benfica side who sit bottom of the uh, Champions League group on zero points. But still, there's some, there's some youth in there. Um, they're trying to make the most of that. Um, uh, and obviously, sorry for Spiller and uh, the, the, the other guys who've maybe twice lost out to a Manchester United side who didn't look exceptional. Um, but Manchester United march on and um, Mourinho again sort of uh, banging on about the fact that he has given young guys a break in the team yeah I mean 
I, I'm not entirely sure if that's true. He had that famous, was it 49 players list um, that pointed yeah. to Great players stuff. he debuted, but, but there was a number of those that were, were literally one-minute introductions and things like that. I think, look, it, people... people there's almost an irony, I think, in the discussion around Mourinho at the minute that people are so desperate to point to any criticism he's got as being proof that there is an anti-Mourinho agenda. I, I don't personally feel like that's the case. I think that he has a very distinct set of skills, to sound like a Liam Neeson movie, which are pragmatic, reactionary and not always about dictating the play. I think it was um, at Real Madrid where kind of he rubbed some of the players up the wrong way with his approach to the games against Barcelona about trying to make them make mistakes instead of taking the ball and, and leading things. And I think that's the same reason that I give him credit for winning against uh, Tottenham with what was a very direct goal that exploited uh, what's usually quite a tight defence and at the same time can then say... But I think sometimes his reactionary tactics leave a little bit to be desired, like the game against Liverpool. I don't think you can just sit and say, well, he beat Tottenham, so now that's a credible point and it makes sense. It's it's not, though. It's, that's not how it works for me. I think, again, you have to build out a bigger picture. And just because I criticised Mourinho in the context of the Liverpool game or the fact that I don't necessarily agree with his assertion that he brings through young players, that doesn't mean that I think he's a bad manager. I think he's a very good manager and I think he's been quite fortunate to have a really good financial backing that's given him a lot of flexibility in the transfer market to get the likes of Lukaku, to get the likes of Pogba because those are central figures to his team. And I think that's perhaps where the the feeling I have in regards to his reactionary tactics stems from because to me if you're able to buy players like that almost with a, a blank check if you will that makes me think okay you should be able to buy the kind of versatility that lets you dominate a game and not and I think that's the 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 thing is when you look at that Liverpool game I know it is harped on about so much that game is picked on because that's when they stopped sort of hammering teams 4-0 and, and the momentum seemed to go a little bit. Mm. And then you have the Huddersfield loss and then you have this Benfica game where, again, they won, so job done completely. But they did make hard work of it at the same time. Those two statements can be true. And I think that's the problem is everyone's after such a definitive, well, we won, that's all that matters. Well, we have a trophy, that's all that matters. Yeah, but that's why that's realistically where people like us earn our money is by being able to say, well, okay, yes, you won a trophy, but there were some concerning elements here that if allowed to grow and fester could develop into bad things in the future. We're almost expected to predict some of the future. So if we just go along and say, well, they beat Benfica, there's nothing to worry about. They'll be fine at the weekend too. That to me is a very superficial analysis of what is quite a complex situation. Yeah, that's true. I guess also that it's... What what is great is when you can say we won the title and no one can really reply to that. You know, uh, I mean, I mean, you know, what would be lovely is if you could say we won the title and people say yeah, and they're great champions as well, because that must be the really 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 frustrating side is obviously, you know, if Manchester United win it this year, and weirdly people never really said that uh, against uh, Ferguson, even though he did. There wasn't it wasn't always the most enterprising football that he played, but no one really said that against Ferguson. They never sort of said. Um, yes, but your team is boring. Do you know what I mean? He was more famous for grinding out results. I guess it's also partly because now the trend is not 
before playing one or what what was seen as one dimensional simple football it's for complex um or what's seen as complex um personally motivated you know man management fantastic all, all these elements but it almost with a Pep Guardiola end rather than a Mourinho end and he's, he's less trendy now I guess would be the point that doesn't take away from what you're saying but he is a lot less trendy I guess um but there are there are as, as you both are sort of mentioning there are like you know fallacies to every philosophy and just because one is succeeding right now doesn't necessarily mean that we haven't criticized it in the past obviously the majority of the criticism that we've seen of Pep Guardiola in the Premier League came last season where we talked about, you know, his need for him to maybe abandon his his ideals and stop playing out of the back so much because of the mistakes that some of the Manchester City players were making. And now, because he's possibly because he's stuck with those ideas, I think I'm sort of with that train of thought, you know, he's enjoying more success because the players understand how to do that in you know, huge pressure situations. And I think what Chris is talking about is exactly right. His philosophy and what he genuinely believes to be the best way to go about winning a football match is, you know, provoking mistakes and never risking anything. And that's genuinely how he plays football, regardless of how expensive the players are. So I think, you know, that's that's just how he's going to play football. And that will be successful against some of the bigger teams. And that will leave something to to be desired against the Crystal Palaces or the Huddersfields of the world because of the way that they like to attack. But each philosophy of football, I think, has its criticisms and has its exploitations. It's just how we view it at that certain moment that I think guides sort of our criticism of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I guess there's also what you don't want to do is, obviously, you don't want to get too high and mighty about it. I don't think anyone on this podcast has. But I think also at the same time, um, I would be very quick to, to to challenge the people who then uh, look down on other stars of football because they think that suddenly, I mean, especially Manchester United fans this season, and certainly some of the Manchester United analysis has become very one-dimensional. Of, but, do, but don't well, we? Why are don't you guys we do getting that? your knickers in a twist? Why are you guys so angry about it? Because I think, well, I think the fact I, is, Mourinho, Mourinho came into the league, and you know, you can use Mourinho's own quotes against him. Is he said things? I think they drew, or maybe they lost to Spurs, and they. One of his post-game quotes was, "Well, only one team team came to play," and you think, "Well, yeah, and it, okay, well, and then how does that philosophy work? How's how's that now? You know?" Yeah, and I think I think the the media narrative surrounding him and the criticisms that he's faced, however large or for how many for however many people write about it, is kind of what he will battle for his entire career and what he has battled in press conferences. You know, we saw in the win over Tottenham recently that he shushed the camera because of, you know, he's insistent on this style of play. And Guardiola is the same way. It's just he goes about it in a different way. These guys are fundamentally ingrained with these ideas in their head because of where they've gotten to in their careers perpetuating those ideas so i think they're always fighting these inner demons into inner demons into a sense uh like of how they view football and how they genuinely believe that it's the you know it's the end all be all in in terms of how to play the game that's interesting okay uh i I slightly disagree with that but i i see your point um and i think there's a number of ways you can take it i think in the end i think in the future Mourinho will be remembered as somewhat of a hero um because of maybe the people he was seen to come up against and maybe in time when history plays out and there's, you know, the fullness of history, we'll see Mourinho maybe in a slightly different light, sort of battling some of the things, the wrongs of, or some of the ills of football. Um, and at the same time, if it's your team doing it, I think there's very often you see it different. It's the same with diving. It's the same with any of those things, isn't it? Like, 
I guess it's just also you pair it with, and if you pair it up with all that money, you sort of think, well, I, I want to see a different end result, you know. And I guess uh, there's a lot of issues. For it. There's, there's, there's huge issues for it, and I think the, the biggest problem is there's too many sensitive people who get upset who get very upset in the meantime um, retweet you with quotes. So um, there's Man City Napoli, uh, Nico. Now this. This was possibly the tie that everyone had looked forward to most when the Champions League was drawn because it was Man City versus Napoli. It was two similar ideologies going up against each other. Um, and bo- arguably both of them enacted in slightly different ways because one had spent more money and I'm not saying that as negative, but one had spent more money and the other uh, felt like it had been coached in a very different way. Um, and even Pep Guardiola himself has sort of called this one of the biggest achievements for his Man City team because they are uh, they faced up against what he says is one of the best sides in Europe and possibly the best team he says he's ever faced yeah and I, I think a lot of people are sort of taking that like he doesn't mean that and I think he very much does I think he genuinely believes that this is one of the best teams he's faced because of the style of football that is so similar to what he believes is sort of the correct way to play football as I as I sort of just touched on but I, I think this 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 uh this tie did live up to the hype I, I I you could see sort of at the beginning of of each period of play the teams were just going at it at each other right at the beginning. You know, it was extremely high pressing. It was a it was a very uh, fast paced game that was played in a in a very small area of the pitch because of the high line that each team were holding. And I think in the first game, Manchester City enjoyed a, a, some success in the first half by playing through Napoli's press. And I think part of that was down to the fact that they didn't have their first 11 out there. They didn't have their preferred 11. They were missing Jorginho and Alan. And then in the second half of that game, when Alan came on, the pressing was way better. They were able to hold, hold a much higher line because of the confidence in their pressing and the game sort of changed in this game. I think, uh, it was unfortunate for for Napoli, and maybe this is something that's going to affect them in a major way. Um, Manchester City did not try to play through their high pressing actions. They actually uh, tried to use utilize the long ball to push the Napoli high line back, which obviously would decrease the effectiveness of Napoli's pressing and offer more space to some of their pacier players like Raheem Sterling and Leroy Sané. They weren't able to do that successfully because of how well drilled that Napoli back line was. And then as soon as uh, Fauzi Gulam pulled up with an injury, unfortunately, that has uh, been confirmed as a full ACL tear, uh, a full rupture. Um you know they weren't able to do the same thing with Christian Maggio on, on the right hand side, and they shifted over Husin to the to the left hand side. Um, but it was still a, a really good game, and I, I think this is the statement rings true, which is this is a this was a really big test because, really, as we're finding out about this Manchester City team, there's not necessarily that many ways to beat them as there was last season. And one of the ways that I think you can disrupt them is by really matching their pressing and doing it effectively. If you can match their pressing and, and do it sort of as aggressively and as effectively as they do it, then you have a really solid chance at beating them. And Napoli certainly showed that in the first leg. And so fortunate that they couldn't show it for 90 minutes in the second leg. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it was a great tie, and and unfortunately for Gulam and Napoli, they, they'll be missing him, and I think that's a, a major part of their team. But I, you know, I thought it was a, a great tie. Elsewhere, uh, PSG won five nil, um, hat trick for Casava uh, uh, and Verratti, getting goal, getting a goal alongside Neymar as well. Um, that group now 
looks as if it's wrapped up uh, for PSG and Munich, uh, considering the number of games they play. Of course, Celtic could catch um, Munich up there, but they will not catch PSG. It's just a case of whether uh, Munich can catch um, PSG at the top of that group. It's still very competitive between Chelsea and Roma, one point between them. Uh, Atletico Madrid, just one win away from one of those two guys. Uh, So there's, there's still a lot to play for in these groups is what I'm saying. Uh, of course, Liverpool won 3-0 against Maribor. All the goals came in the second half. Liverpool didn't look uh, quite as incisive. No Coutinho, uh, but they had Sturridge. Sturridge scored Firmino, and a lot of the other players looked very static. Uh, but in the end, Liverpool got through. And again, Nico, it goes back to a lot of the old problems uh, that you've been listing on the podcast. So I don't feel we need to go over that. And that is some real common ground uh, now that you and I have found uh, going over the same clock points over and over again. Um, there is certainly a lot there to go over time after time. Can I introduce a new plot point? I'd love, I'd love to hear one. Not, not specifically, I think, relating to club, but perhaps you could maybe throw them in there as well. Looking at the the landscape of the Champions League, we've talked about Real Madrid stuttering, Barcelona drew against Olympiacos, uh, Juventus drew against Sporting as well, and. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bayern uh, obviously won, but it, it's a little bit of an uncertain time, if you will, for, for them with uh, with Ancelotti leaving and Hankers coming in. Absolutely. It makes me wonder if we're going to see one of the uh, aspiring elites win the Champions League this season. Because if you look at the two teams that I think have, have set the pace in the group stages, which again is no indicator of success, it's PSG and Man City. Because Man City just obliterated the best team in Serie A right now at least in terms of the league standings and, and the team that plays I would say the nicest football um, and PSG have, have dismantled pretty much everyone in their group including Bayern so it, it leads me to wonder if we are going to have a situation where someone like PSG um, and maybe Man City I guess you could throw Liverpool in there as well, does come up and, and sneak down the, the side because it looks as if we're going to lose some decent teams early on. I mean, Dortmund are already booked gone. I think Atletico are in a similar position. So it's, yeah, I think for once the, the Champions League might not be as formulaic um, as it has been in, in recent years. That's a very good point, actually, yeah. Um, and the same maybe goes for Europa League where Arsenal are battling it away. Uh, Chris Nil-Nil tonight with Red Star Belgrade. Uh, obviously a difficult side to face, uh, much more difficult uh, when you go to Serbia rather than when they come to London. Uh, nil-nil, 
Sky Sports tonight carry an article with the headline on the day he was left out of the England squad. Jack Wilshire shows he's ready for the big stage again. Um, just, just no. Why not? Uh, it's, it's one performance where they, they've got zero goals. You made a valid point there. Um, I, I like Jack Wilshire, but uh, I think bringing him back to the England setup too soon, I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense. Although, I mean, surely maybe this is the right time to test out these kind of players. Um, and maybe at this point, uh, maybe at this point Southgate has already got his favourite guys. Um it might be too late for Jack at this point. I'd love, to, I'd love to see Jack Wilshire back for England, but just not, not, not based on the performances that he's had. Surely, um, and people say, well, other people haven't performed particularly well. Maybe Jack Wilshire does also suffer from currently being an Arsenal player and, um, well, having uh, not particularly well um, formed identity as a side yet, at least publicly or outwardly. I imagine there's a lot of talking behind the scenes. Has anyone else seen the, the back? Or is it the back? It might be the back or the front page of Marker. Um, yeah, I was just looking at that. Yeah. Uh, it was Santi Gazzola who... Uh, yeah, apparently his foot gangrened after surgery. And it is, they're apparently saying he'll be lucky if he can walk. Yeah. Um, Which is a skin insane. graft. I mean, it looks horrific and sounds horrific. Uh, I, I think he will walk. Uh just because he is incredible but I mean that's amazing isn't it uh, Chris that in the modern day a footballer will get gangrene after surgery yeah he's, he's said to have lost 8 centimetres of his tendon as well which I would imagine will have to to influence um, him in some way and I mean you just have to look at the the photograph on the, the cover there to kind of is, get a is very is that a photograph or do you think that's a photoshop I'm only trying to work it out um, to me, it looks like a photograph. It doesn't I mean you're probably the more of the expert here? I think even if it's used to illustrate the situation, just them, um, just those basic facts: eight operations, eight centimeters of tendon, almost losing your foot. I think that paints the the severity of the situation quite easily. Yeah, yeah very much so. Uh, a tragic situation, and, and obviously Santi Cazorla is such a, a well liked player. I think within the game, and obviously within the the Spain setup as well. I think he really is well liked. And obviously at Arsenal, he, he played such a key role. It's, it's certainly very interesting um, to see where this one goes and, and how Arsenal will handle it, how he handles it himself. Um, and obviously everyone wishes him the best. We all want to see him back playing football. He played such beautiful football uh, in the time that he was playing last. Um, do you, anything else you guys want to throw out there before we go to the Q&A very quickly from uh, Adam and Dave earlier on? Excellent. Sean Dyche uh, to Everton. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to come up immediately after this. Uh, Sean Dyche to Everton will be covered in the final section of the podcast. In the meantime, uh, Adam and Dave sat down by the river after uh, a lovely football tournament that they took part in. Uh, and this is what they had to say. It's part two. The Q&A with myself and Statman Dave. Something a little bit different this week. We actually recorded this live earlier at the pub on the river in London with a couple of pints. It was perfect. Taking your questions on Periscope and Twitter. So without further ado, enjoy. So 
here we go. Should we okay, get, let's, should do we get it, to let's do it. So is this Spurs winning the Champions League reaction stream? Yes. Spurs have officially now won the Champions League. We beat the European champions. So you are reigning European champions? Uh, I think so. That's how it yeah. works. Here's the first question, a proper question from 0-1 Ryan Dawson. says, which win was better, Spurs or City? Of course, Spurs beating the European champions at Wembley last night 3-1. City, after a 2 all draw, it was, I believe, with Napoli. They came back to win 4-2. What do you think Spurs, was more impressive? Spurs was impressive. I think it was uh, tactically very good from Pochettino. Again, you're seeing the changing uh, side of, of Pochettino's teams are playing a lot more on the counter-attack, but it really worked against Real Madrid. Real Madrid, you know, playing this narrow diamond against the three-at-the-back system for me is crazy stuff. Crazy. But then you've got the likes of Dele Alli, Christian Eriksen, Harry Kane all playing very well together. So, yeah, I'd say Spurs more, more impressive in a way. I think the next question was about City. And do they have any weaknesses? I think that if you went with a diamond in midfield and went man-to-man and then use your sort of centre-halves in between their full-backs to pin their full-backs back, it would restrict them in that final third and you could play out. Like, similar to what uh, Mourinho <laughs> did last season with uh, Mkhitaryan in a diamond, but then he only tried that for like 10 minutes, but it worked really well. So I think a diamond against Ma- this Manchester City team is similar to the Barcelona team that absolutely smashed people messy. If you play diamond in midfield, it will restrict Manchester City. Um, so, the question we had there, I believe, was are you happy with Manchester United right now? Obviously, there's a lot of criticism in the media over Mourinho and his tactics. Um, I believe Mourinho has come out of a rather interesting quote today about how you know Spurs beat Liverpool 4-1, they beat Real Madrid 3-1, they need some credit for this. He's coming out and saying some quite strange things, I think, Jose Mourinho. He's not doing himself any favours, but are you happy as a Manchester United fan with the way Manchester United are playing at the moment? Yeah, where are they in the league? The second. They've scored the second most goals, they've conceded the fewest goals in the Premier League. It's a different Manchester United, I think that's the thing. Do you think, though, that results... Results are, Jesus Christ, this thing is so bright, you might have to hold it. Yeah. Do you think results are the be-all and the end-all, though? Should it not be... It doesn't have to be one or the other. There can be a happy medium between performances and results. I think at the moment for Manchester United, it is about results, unfortunately. And that is what United need right now, is they need to win things again. They need to get competitive. And getting there through being defensive and being counter-attacking, for me, is absolutely fine. Of course, there's certain things, like players like Mkhitaryan could be rotated a bit better. I thought it was a fantastic start of the season, but needed a bit of a rest. And now this new system, the 3-4-1-2, Jess Lingard can be used as number 10, and he's still very effective. So quite frankly, I think it's just about rotating these attackers, getting the likes of Martial, and uh, Rashford in the right games mm. uh, I think there was a, po- a question there a second ago I can't remember who said it it disappeared before I could get their name who's going to win the Champions League for you I mean we're seeing now the group stages um, how things are shaping up it looks like PSG and potentially Man City are two of the favourites I mean Spurs maybe in there as well unbeaten but who do you think for you is going to win the Champions League and I remember that question Proofy says what's happening in Madrid who's going to win the Champions League still going to say Real Madrid right now even though they, they haven't played well against Spurs I think the likes of Daniel Carvalho when he's back gives them a lot more in an attacking sense as well as a defensive yeah. sense I just think they'll, they'll find their luck I think La Liga's pretty much gone for them wow. so now it's all about just the Champions League I think that it's going to be Manchester City or PSG hello uh, it's going to be Manchester City or PSG who are going to win and I'm going to put my money on Manchester City right now City? yeah I, I think you disappoint me Here's one not that's Tottenham Hotspur cool. the uh, question we had before wait one more for you uh, is yeah. what's going wrong with Real Madrid right now because obviously they lost in the league mm. at the weekend losing to Spurs but I think that was their first Champions League group stage defeat since 2012 and over five years what do you think is going wrong from right now? I think it's the, the tactics of the problem at the moment you know they, they set up with this diamond and they should have gone with a 4-3-3 against Spurs that's how you kind of want to expose Spurs is in those wide areas have Cristiano Ronaldo there obviously the problem with Gareth Bale being out but why is Asensio not starting maybe on the left hand side Ronaldo on the right a lot of fluidity there even Vasquez you know how uh, Real Madrid did so well last season in the back end of games was switching to this 4-5-1 and counter-attacking Vasquez on one flank 
uh, Sancho on the other, Ronaldo through the middle. Maybe it's moving to a, you know, a four-five-one at the right time. A diamond works against four-four-twos. You know, it gives that option to dodge the press. We saw what Tony Cruz did sort of behind Marcelo against both Juve against Atletico last season. Mm. But Zidane needs a bit smarter with his tactics. He can't just play the diamond. He needs to play it at the right time. Abdul, interesting question there. Can Arsenal stop City this Sunday? Absolutely um, not. It's a very good question. There's so many holes in this. There's so many holes in the shape, especially behind Hector Bellerin. There's so much space, and City will just destroy absolutely it. destroy. You know, you think either who's going to play there, Leroy Sane. You think Ryan Sterling. Someone's going to get in that space. There's a question from Muva Prudvi again. He says, if PSG wins the Champions League, is it the Ballon d'Or for Neymar? It's interesting. I've seen reports that Neymar's not 100% happy at PSG. Uh, there's reports coming out that he regret leaving Barcelona. Obviously, there's a whole Cavani drama situation mm. going on. I don't know if they win the PSG. I think he'll be up. Uh, if they win the Champions League, PSG, I think he'll be up in that contention. But do you think he will win the Ballon d'Or? The thing, I think the thing with PSG is that either his goals will carry them, or I think more likely it's going to be some big performances from their defenders because they still are such a broken side. The likes of Mbappe, Cavani, and Neymar, they don't trap back. So it's going to be someone like uh, Thiago Silva that may be the first defender to win the Ballon d'Or if PSG go that far and win wow. it. And then you think in Brazil in the World Cup as well. So if if he plays his Very cards true. right, Thiago Silva this season, he could be in contention for the Ballon d'Or. Do you know who I think could be? Uh, Neymar's biggest contender for the Ballon d'Or mm. Mbappe Mbappe interesting he's got the most assists in the Champions League this season but I don't think he's he hasn't had the same impact as he has at Monaco I don't think he's been as, as a, such a focal point in that uh, Blade444 says could Manchester United sign Griezmann or Bale we were actually talking about this a little yeah. earlier uh, we said that Bale with his injuries means that maybe Real would be willing to sell him mm. potentially in the summer do you think that's yeah. a realistic sort of option I think it would be realistic yeah of course for Manchester United they need to sort of get to that stage where they have that consistent attack and whether it's Mesut Ozil I, I like the idea of Mesut Ozil I think he's a wonderful player in the right system especially in a counter-attacking system when he has space to counter-attack that's perfect for a number 10 then you can throw Mkhitaryan out wide, wide right of course Antoine Griezmann this season he's got a lot of stick from the Spanish press and Atletico Madrid fans but in terms of what he would bring to United it's that dynam diamondism what's the right word right? Dynamism Dynamism, yeah, dynamism. dynamism. Uh, there was a question there I can't remember the name again was it Broccoli I think it mm. was he was saying can Mourinho win in this media agenda against Manchester United we did just discuss it there a minute ago but uh, for one do you think there is a media agenda against Manchester United do you think they're being treated harshly saying that the uh the, the fans look happy do you think the fans are happy like I say I think there's a happy media yeah I think it, I think it's it's fine it's it's being competitive again I think the big thing with this media agenda it, it's because United are playing defensive and they are beating teams like Tottenham Hotspur Tottenham Hotspur were third in the Premier League United won and it's seen as like not a result you go back to that game I've got done a video on my channel about like a tactical analysis of why what Man United were doing they were very very simple they went man for man in midfield they restricted Spurs Spurs did nothing in that second half and United had five massive chances all through either playing long or playing direct it's a different way to win football games but it's still effective and it, of course it's the versus Jurgen Klopp versus the Pochettino these are managers that inspire you players and the media bottom me the media now enjoy that over something like Mourinho moving on to um, Baxton Baxton98 on Twitter uh, what's the sixth biggest league in the world of course after the big five so we've got Russia Portugal Holland or Belgium Portugal maybe yeah I'm just by Portugal. their uh Competitiveness in the Champions yeah, exactly, League. Exactly. I watched the Benfica under 19s on Tuesday, very impressed by some of their players. And you know, if they continue to produce players, and they get Bernardo Silva, now Guardes, you know, very young, top young players that Benfica are producing. So it's one of these things that I think it will be Portugal will be back. But Holland has been a resurgence, obviously, Feyenoord winning last season. Um, you know, Belgium doing well, Anderlecht doing well as well. And Russia, no, I'd say Russia's the, the, the bottom out of those 400%. Probably rank it Portugal, Holland, Belgium, Russia. 
guys were taking questions on Twitter and in the chat here um, so do get them in Football Regista says when does Dave aim to get a professional managerial job soon 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 you're going to win the Champions League yeah uh, uh, we've got one here Pridvi's talking about Luis Suarez so remind me of that one yep. is there any hope for Swansea to avoid the drop said Max I think there will be I think they've got some real good players in their squad the likes of Tammy Abrahams I like out uh, Mawson at the back they also Renato Sanchez isn't a bad player people have like jumped on him and say no he's absolute rubbish you go back to that season in the Champions League for Benfica he was awesome in central midfield it's just about getting him game time that's what he's not had for the last two seasons so if I was Swansea manager I'd be playing him every single week can Brighton stay up says Finlay Lamb Nick Knowles uh, Finlay can Brighton stay up I've been impressed with what I've seen of them so far remember that one tips on analysing football match from Nick yep. um, do you think Brighton can stay up when I saw them play against Everton albeit it was Everton a few weeks back I was impressed by what I saw I think they've got the the they've got the raw foundations almost but maybe they are just lacking up top yeah I think that's that's one thing I think defensively um, I think they're good Chris Hooten always has a combative side where they do defend in a you know medium 4-4-2 but I do think when I think they'll have a sort of real bad run of form Pascal Gross at the moment is massively performing he's like carrying them in a creative sense when he drops out of favour you know when he stops whipping those free kicks onto the, onto the you know onto his teammates heads I think they'll start to, to struggle then uh, Joel Bayer, uh, the Chiefs sport legend himself. Yeah, I think it's Joel Bayer. My phone's cracked, so I can't go see his name. Um, he's saying, who do you think's got the better squad, Chelsea or Spurs? That's a good one. I'd say the thing with Chelsea is they've, they've got a very weak squad. And I think so Spurs, Spurs. The Spurs do have a very weak squad as well. I think it's very, very even. Um, I'd probably say Chelsea if they've got all their players fit, but then again, with they've got you know they haven't had a fit squad this season, so maybe it is Pochettino is doing a bit better than um, than Spurs at the moment. So maybe sorry than Chelsea. So probably go with Spurs. Uh, yes, it's cheeks for Joel. Keep it away, Joel. I love yes, it. Joel. We love you. Uh, here's one from Nick. Says Dave. Are there any tips for analysing football matches? Yeah, I think it, I think what I like to do is watch games back. So I watch it first live, and then I watch the game back. And in terms of um, you know slowing it down and watching it at your own pace. So for example, you watch a goal go in. It's not about you know not following the ball. It's following off the ball. And that's quite an interesting point. It's to, to see the movement off the ball. That's very very interesting. So in terms of you know football matches, I, I watch them on my computer again, and I'll scroll back and scroll forward really slowly just to see the little intricacies of what's actually happened. Who's created the space who's played the pass who's you know who's going to score the goal you know you can see that from deep and how their movement comes together so yeah watching games back twice is, is a very good thing but only of course if you've got the time only if you've got the time thoughts on Sead Kalasinac I like Kalasinac I think he's I think it, what I thought he'd be was strong physical and good in the tackle he is that but what I didn't really expect for him was the attacking side that he is quite good driving on the ball in terms of you know goals and assists he's done very well for Arsenal this season uh, Shetty says do you think Giggs will ever manage Manchester United no not no, I don't think so I think that United are looking they're always going to go for an elite coach now Yeah. and until Giggs does something elsewhere that would be the only chance that he's going to get it uh, Blade444 says Paul Pogba or KDB um, what do you reckon Pogba KDB every day of the week um there was a question there who's going to win the Premier League again apologies I didn't get your username there 
Who is going to win the Premier League this season? For me, it's obviously Manchester City. I think they're already... How far are they ahead of United? Eight points ahead of Spurs now. Four, I think. So I think... Maybe five. I think, you know, uh, albeit is the criticism warranted from Mourinho, I think, you know, he's got to take some of the blame here, but they're falling five, behind. Five behind. Yeah, when they're drawing against Liverpool, etc., they're losing to Huddersfield, they're dropping points, they're falling behind. Man City showed no signs of stopping down five points, uh, says Rocky. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be Man City's. Uh, Lawrence the Guy says, who's going to win the UCL? Uh, what, we did just answer this. Madrid, but I do think Spurs and Manchester United will do the best out of the English sides. I think they'll go furthest. What about Man City? I think they'll go far, but I think Spurs and United will do better than City this season in the Champions League. <laughs> Rocky says uh, United still needs to play City twice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big thing. I think the big thing <laughs> with the title race is the 12th of, of December. If United don't win that game, then there's a bit of an issue. Devils Following says, are Manchester City currently the best team in Europe? Surely, in an attacking sense. They're good. They're, They're very good. good. Who's better? Name a team who's playing better than them right now. Um, PSG. The left back scored a hat trick, mate, with three shots on target. No, I think City are, City are up there. City are definitely up there. Here's a great question from Ed Barton. He says, best young player to sign on Football Manager? Is there any little, little gems? I think there's, a life, the there's a left winger at Santos this season that's 15 when the game starts, and he's absolutely sick. can't remember what his name is, but left, left winger Santos, basically the next Neymar. Lately, I think, I'm trying to think who I've signed, young players on Football Manager. I quite like getting um, the lad from Bayer Leverkusen, the central midfielder, but his name has escaped me right now. Um, but get him as well. He's absolutely boss in central midfield. Yuri Tillsman as well, if you can get him in the second season, always decent. Uh, Nick, Nick and the Les says. Havitz was the player. Uh, incredible scenes, boys. If you could sign one player for Manchester United, who would you sign next summer? Then they're saying January, they say January. Just be slightly realistic. It's a tough one, that. I'm trying to know what United need. It's probably an attacker, but then. It's like a consistent attacker. There's not a lot of them in world football. They're going to be available in January. What about next summer then? Next summer when the purse strings are open. I'd love to get Guadalajara from PSG, but I don't think they'll let him go now. He's too good. Um, Lawrence, the guy, says best defender in the world. Right now? Jan Vertonghen. Absolutely not. Do you not see Jan Vertonghen get done by Anthony Martial? Davidson Sanchez? I I can't argue with that, but I thought you were going to say Adam No, I don't think he's the best centre-back in the world Best centre-back in the world? Uh, Wow, that's a great question. The usual candidates looking at Sergio Ramos. Yeah. Um, PK's had a good year. I'd say Ramos, but at the moment, obviously, Real are out of form. I'd say he is the best defender in the world. The Tonga. Um, thoughts on Strange Things Series 2, says Ollie Shep. I've only watched, Have the, you first, watched the first one and a half episodes. I'm up to the last episode. Don't say I'm anything. I'm not going to give no any spoilers. spoilers. Um, I think it's very good. I'm enjoying yeah. it, but it's not... As good as the first one. It's never going to be in the bracket of, say, The Wire, Mad Men, Sopranos, Breaking Bad. It's never going to be that sort of show. So I think if you accept it for what it is, an enjoyable TV show, that's fine. It's a little bit repetitive for me. Um, why don't we discuss very quickly uh, Mick90 saying, who would you replace Potch and Kane when they go? When? When are they going? Stephen Housen also said, suck my foes. Uh, Galactic says, Strange Things most overrated show ever. Potentially, it's just a good show. I started watching it's just Bo- a good show. Jack Horseman, oh, I like and I didn't, I didn't like it at the start, quite but like it. it's quite good. Do you know what my favourite show is right now? Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty's amazing. Have you not watched Special. it all yet? Oh, yeah, I've watched it. Yeah, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. incredible. Um, what ground are you? What pub are you in? It seems like a decent spot, said Izzy. Um, I'm not 100% sure. We are in... The quarry? We're in the quarry, I believe. It's we just finished a football game. Uh, it's south of the river, though, so watch out. You'll see on YouTube soon enough. 
Rick and Morty is next level. Uh, Housen said, "What's up, man?" The, the pickle, the pickle um, episode on Rick and Morty pickle, is just unbelievable. Um, so Mick said, "Who should replace Posh and Kane?" First off, I don't think either of them are going. Um, I think they're going to stay for a, a long time. Um, so I don't think we need to think about that anytime soon. Oh, this is a good question from Football Regista. Football How one. far is Yaya Torre away from Lampard and Gerard in terms of his Premier League legacy? I think he had three good years where he was pretty much unplayable, but I think Gerard Lampard and Paul Scholes and Ryan Giggs have that longevity that's a little bit longer than Yaya Torre, but it's very decent. What's this? question on the Twitters here yeah. favourite pub food what do you reckon um burger burger and chips solid boring that you've got to go for some sort of pie fish oh, and chips oh pie and mash is decent pie and mash sure um is Loz a true scouser says Mick no. has he ever burned out a car or stole a wallet no. Lawrence scouser. is not the type of guy to do those things <laughs> Uh, we've got a question here from Van Verma who said how long will Dybala remain at Juventus not long where's he going not long uh, Barca probably eventually I think he'd be a good Suarez replacement I think he could work quite well in tandem with Lionel Messi as a two we had a question there a minute ago about Suarez I think with Prudvi who'd said what do you think about Suarez's form he looks a little bit off the pace now maybe he doesn't look up to 100% fitness yeah maybe that's it. it you know he's played a lot of football over the last few seasons and he's played at a really high level but again it's the system I think with this Barca system Messi is the false nine so Suarez has to start from that wide position and then come in um, Suarez could have done that when he's 25, 26, 27 now he's coming to a little bit you know the back end of his career not as pacey but then again Valverde needs to just find a way of getting him playing well again I think that's a big thing for do you want the other question? there was a question there who was... should be next United manager Pochettino? yeah Angelotti yeah Simeone ooh what do you reckon that one surely Pod- I said this to Stephen Housen who's probably still watching uh, on his podcast this weekend last weekend Pochettino would surely be the perfect manager for Manchester I think Pochettino is the realistic option but no not realistic re- I think he's realistic but I think the best would be for me Simeone I've lo- I absolutely love what Simeone's done over the last few seasons what do you think of Ancelotti would you not take him yeah no I think I'd take Ancelotti as well I think post Mourinho either you need that big personality like a Simeone like a Pochettino or you need someone chilled out like of course the main man Carlo Ancelotti I'd like Carlo Ancelotti I think he's a brilliant manager but he needs the right environment and United could be that perfect place five more minutes guys and then we're going to wrap up this Q&A so do get your questions in on Twitter uh, okay this is a weird one said Kevin uh, but I am horrible for, am I wa- horrible for wanting to kick my girlfriend's little brother in the head yes Kevin you don't want to Kevin. kick anyone in the head Kevin that's mean don't be kicking anyone in the head that's just it's a little bit psychopathic <laughs> uh, we've had something in from uh, Nathan on Twitter at young n 8 uh, given your background noise <laughs> on normal pods this should be in occasionally we like to film outside I see I get it okay but guys we're bringing your podcast you know we're, we're doing our best sometimes we're out and about you know we're out on the bloody river and that yeah, on the bloody river and we're just like trying to report, record stuff when we can you know <laughs> uh, before I start Greg Slav said honest opinion of Brian <sighs> the true joy it's top lad he's absolutely good guy great great guy you literally get if you ever meet him you'll, you'll never meet a nicer guy yeah. he'll definitely be buying you a few pints so I uh, can't complain about Brian great lad um, yeah the question there from Tom can Zaha perform for a better team at top 6 would he be transferred I'd said in the summer I'd love to see him come to Spurs I think it'd be yeah. a great option off the bench gives that speed gives that penetration but he did sign a new contract at Crystal Palace Chingy, do a job elsewhere? Um, I think he could, yeah. I think that there's certain teams that he'd fit. I think he would fit someone like Chelsea. I think he'd fit someone like Tottenham. I don't think he's right for Manchester United. I don't think he'd fit in at all well there. There was obviously issues off the field as well as on the field. 
and he has a he has a ceiling, but someone like Pochettino could elevate him past what you expect from him. So I think Pochettino would be the perfect guy for Wilf, Wilf Zaha. Similar for Luke Shaw. Both should pretty much be like get me to Spurs. Okay, well there you have it. That was the Q and A. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you all loved that background noise going on at the pub the whole time. Uh, we expect a few free star reviews this week. Um, we'll, we'll pay the price for that. But guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed listening all the same. And we'll see you on Monday for the weekend review, a big weekend of action coming up. So we'll speak on Monday. Until then, have a bloody great weekend. Thank you very much to Adam and Dave there. Uh, brilliant. Uh, go follow those guys. Uh, who doesn't love sitting by the river answering people's questions? <laughs> Um, maybe a, a, a serial killer. Uh, anyway, uh, Chris, let's get straight down to it. Uh, we, we can continue our Europa League slash Europe chat. First of all, Everton, what you described as a, a, a fucking mess uh, tonight as we record, it's not looking great, uh, especially if Unsworth is the manager who is best qualified to take over. Uh, he's not showing that, or he's not he's not managed to show that yet. It sounds disrespectful the way that I phrased the question. Um, but Everton don't look to have improved as they lose 3-0 to Leon um, and sit bottom of their group on just one point. Yeah, the, there was a quite unfortunate injury to, to Cuco Martina. Um, he was put in a neck brace and, and is going to be observed overnight in, in hospital. So it's just a terrible night all round when you consider that they also lost Morgan Scheidel into a, a red card. They they just look very disorganised as a team, um, and I, that's that's the moment where I think it starts to look like too big a job for for Unsworth because I don't think he's had this kind of pressure. It's it's a very different atmosphere coaching under twenty threes to senior teams, and that's one of the reasons that Lee Carsley has has never sought out a top job. He's been linked to a few, in fact, but he prefers to work with England and work with. Um, I'm trying to think which club he's the the under-23 manager at. Um, it might be Birmingham, actually. Um, but yeah, that that for me is another sort of you know piece of evidence for why it, it really can't be Unsworth to take them forward. Mm. Um, I think there are players in that squad, guys like Ashley Williams, who I think need a rest more than anything. Um, we've talked about you know the positives of inertia relative to. Um, title wins and things on this podcast in the past I think you look at Williams and he almost looks punch drunk a little bit Um, his his style of defending I think is on the way out anyway personally Uh, it's very aggressive almost to the point of a fault sometimes it crosses that line like it did with Leon last time it's a little little too active almost in a way where it's a bit more like uh, I guess it's a very English style of defending where it's, it's sort of like we praise him for doing something rather than maybe showing the self-control to not do something. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think you you put someone like him next to Mason Holgate, I don't think it does anything positive for Holgate. Um, in general, I think, yeah, the, the Europa League will be over for them soon. I think they've only got two games after this now, one against Atalanta uh, at home. There's a potential to maybe build some good feeling with a victory. It obviously won't play any influence on keeping them in the competition. Um, but I think what they have to accept is is that you know the, there's a, a strong chance as it sits right now that they go down. And, and 
that's not to say that I think it happens more that I think they need to be self-aware of the, the situation they're in because the longer they kid themselves, the longer they take to appoint a manager, the more the rot sets in and the harder it becomes to turn around. We, You just need to look at, at Sunland under Sam Allardyce a few years ago. He actually came into that job, I would say, f- f- relatively early into the season in terms of it, the halfway stage hadn't arrived yet and he kept himself up by the skin of his teeth. Um, and that was with the January window as well. Now, you can tell me that Everton have all this quality and Sigurdsson and all this. I don't see it at this precise moment. Um, I never saw a £45 million player in Guilfi Sigurdsson to begin with. I don't see where you fit all of those number 10s in, for starters. Um, and then where you try and build a, a team that, that looks serviceable, it's going to need to be one that focuses on defending first and then looks to try... And, and exploit the likes of Morales and Niasi's pace because that's its big problem for me is it doesn't have a gear shift. Um, it's that's got a lot of players that can create stuff, but not many that could could spring on a team with, with real devastation. And that maybe is part of the problem, isn't it, Nico, is that actually, um, you know, we, we we see the likes of Sean Dyche, who are obviously going to come in, um, well, possibly will come in at this point. It probably By the time that we get this out, it probably will be in... Um, do you think that he's a ready-made solution or is it is it again that there are so many problems or so many smaller problems he he could be the man you know it could go a number of ways either he's not able to harness what the squad has or he's able to boil down what the squad has and harness some of the basics that he has from a smaller uh, group of players like he has at Burnley in many ways I mean I think he would definitely keep them up, which is an obvious positive. But in terms of progressing his own style as well as achieving the uh, aspirations that maybe Everton set out at the beginning of this season, definitely not. And I think if you look at the football style or the style of football, rather, that uh, Sean Dyche has perpetuated at Burnley, you know, there is much to be said about it that he has achieved with a, you know, what we see to be not the most talented group of players. But at the same time, I think there are... From what people, you know, who analyze football through statistical methods have garnered about teams like Sean Dash's Burnley is that they tend to overperform some of the deeper metrics because of the way that they defend as opposed to anything spectacular that the manager is doing. And what I mean by that is they defend exceptionally deep and they allow shots where teams generally don't like to allow shots, you know, within the box, they allow possession, you know, within zone 14 and other places like that. Um, But they rely heavily on block shots. And I think if you're doing that at a Burnley, then that's okay because your only expectation is to really avoid relegation. And he's done that successfully. You know, he's done good things at that level, but I think, as maybe I've spoken about before, the things that maybe separate the different classes of football manager in terms of the types that get maybe the Barcelona jobs as opposed to the ones that get, you know, the relegation battling or the mid-table jobs is, as maybe we were speaking about earlier on the podcast, is their philosophy of football. And I don't see anything within Sean Dyche's current resume to suggest that he would evolve a style of football if given, you know, more resources to do so. And obviously that means players. I think he would continue to resort to the thing that has brought him success in his career so far. Not that that's a negative thing, but I don't necessarily think that that would match up to the expect to the lofty expectations that Everton have set for themselves this summer. And I think Chris speaks a lot of sense in the, the, the manner that, you know, that squad, as we talked about before was kind of, 
really not kind of but really poorly put together in the summer by misspending the Lukaku money by getting a bunch of players that would supposedly replace you know his quote-unquote gold tally so I think the the biggest thing for whoever it is that fills that role is not necessarily playing into this idea that each club has a very specific style of football but rather building a style of football in general that is sustainable for Everton to finish within the mid table which I think is well within the possibility given the amount of talent that does, that's at Everton. Is Sean Dyche the man to do that? I'm not so sure. Uh, very good answer. Uh, something that we can't cover tonight is obviously um, the few elements of what's going on uh, for Patrice Evra uh, at, uh, at the Europa League level where he's been sent off before the game uh, started. We don't know all the details. We don't really want to comment on that because there may be things that's charged by that... Um, or sort of motivated by, which actually are a lot more sinister, not from Patrice's side, but from, from the, the side of the fans. Um, obviously, what's happened there is he has kicked what most people allege is one of his own fans. And you have to imagine that, uh, especially for someone like Patrice Evra, um, to do something like that, that would, would take something quite serious to happen in the first place, especially considering the player's demeanour um, and maybe considering... Um, elements of how he is on a day-to-day basis. Uh, i still got to say, though, I find it very unusual um, the amount of Manchester United fans or just the amount of fans of Patrice Ever in general who seem to be tweeting uh, jokingly, hashtag I love this game, as if uh, as if violence within sport is a joke in any way. Um, an, an unusual response, if you put it that way. Um, and then finally, uh, obviously, there's also there's rumours going out in tomorrow's papers or the, today's papers by the time this comes out, Chris, um, that Antonio Conte could already be in for the sack at Chelsea. This has obviously been printed by Marker, so therefore very little validity. Um, but there is talk that uh, Antonio Conte wants out at Chelsea, could be on his way out. There's talk that Montella is uh, not long for the job at um, AC Milan and there was obviously talk before that Antonio Conte was interested in the job do you think that there is a, a series of dominoes here which can fall even if they're, they're dominoes which might take a whole half season or maybe even a season to fall well that was the funny thing wasn't it in the summer he spent a decent amount of time talking about you know not wanting to have a Mourinho season after the, the Premier League title win that they, they managed to secure last season um, I think this in some ways shouldn't come as a surprise because I think if you look at firstly his style of play and then also the approach Chelsea have with its its managers under Roman Abramovich, it's rarely been a long-term investment. Um, it's always been about, okay, this isn't working, let's change it. And in some ways I kind of admire that because it takes a lot of ball to, to think that there's always something better out there for you in the football club. I think it works well at a time when really uh, a lot of clubs struggle with with a long-term appointment. I think Arsenal are very much the unicorn in the field of ponies with that one. And look how much it's done for them. Absolutely jackedly squit. Um, I think what is concerning as well is the just the way they performed against Roma. It was so devoid of, of anything you would associate with Conte. And you just wonder if, and we've talked about this, you and I, before, be it in the documentary that you made or previously on this podcast, that Conte is intense. I think that we're not shedding insight there. 
the the problem with that intensity is is that it involves him putting his foot on the pedal to the floor at all times and so you look at Juventus and the fact that they don't do well in the Champions League under him um I mean, they did okay in the group stages one year, but they only had like a two-year sample size. And then Allegri comes in and they make the final. And then they make it again last year. I think that's as much as an achievement for Allegri as it is an indictment on what Conte is like in terms of managing situations. And he already himself spoke out about the size of the squad. And I think if someone like him is making those kind of comments it's almost a self-awareness of what kind of style he has and what he's going to need to do that. So I think in a lot of ways for me personally, looking at the situation, there's almost a, uh, a reluctance, a, almost an acceptance, if you will, that this is the consequence of, of Chelsea and what they chose to do in the summer and the fact that he can't necessarily manage situations well. And that's why I think we're seeing stories like we are today with, with Charlie Masonda wanting to potentially leave in January, assuming those are true, because he's he's not necessarily someone that can, can manage situations and, and use them to his advantage. That's a very good point. I mean, tactically, it would certainly also make a lot of sense, wouldn't it, Nico? Um, but just in terms of, you know, everything that would uh, possibly go on at, at AC Milan because you've got uh, you know you've got, you've got a squad that's more or less ready there. However, if they don't make it to the Champions League, there is talk that because of FFP etc., they would have to sell a few players. Um, it, it, it would be interesting to see what what uh, would happen if Conte came in. Obviously, yeah, I think you know I hadn't really thought about this prior to you mentioning it to me you know his his return to AC Milan but I think it would actually be really good for both him and the club and I think it would fit into the idea that Chelsea is trying to perpetuate a sort of a modern club and what I mean by that is I think it would be good for Conte because he as much as I maybe like to detest the the general saying you know the general idea that there is you know, massive different differences in terms of nuance between leagues. Mm-hmm. I think his defensively centered approach and the one that he built, the dynasty that he built Juventus being defen- a defensively centered approach was one that really worked because of the, the tactical nuance of that league. And I think it would really work for AC Milan because they've essentially with the players that they bought, given him a blank slate. And I think that sort of goes back to the idea that I was talking about previously, which is building an identity of football. I think people tend to believe that that takes far longer uh, than than it actually does. And I think if you're building sort of an academy identity, then it can take, yeah, maybe 20 or 30 or possibly even 40 or longer years. But I think in the case of Chelsea, and this, similar, this relates to Milan as well, is that they have generally kept the core of you know the core of their players the same for the past couple of years and in the sense that you know under Jose Mourinho is a counterattacking side and and they obviously went through different periods with him and under uh, Antonio Conte it's been a counterattacking team so they brought in different coaches which is you know the the easiest position to replace considering it's just one play or just one piece of the equation and they've continued to perpetuate similar tactical ideas with a squad that has a a concrete identity. They just change it slightly depending on the manager. And I think with AC Milan, since they've gone on this shopping spree of buying all these different players, if they were 
to bring in someone like Conte, they would have to adhere to the rules of FFP and sell a few players, which would ideally be the players that he wouldn't want. And then he would get to come in and perpetuate his defensive uh, defensive minded ideals to a league that he's already familiar with. So I think it'd be a really good move. And for all the talk of short short sightedness from Chelsea, I think they're actually, like I mentioned, operating as sort of a modern club by having a very specific and core group of players that can do one thing very well and then changing you know, the cheapest piece of the puzzle to fit, you know, the, the current tactical trends or the current managerial trends. So I think, you know, it, it is very intelligent from, from both of these clubs. It's an interesting view. It's a very interesting view on it. Um, I'll be interested to see what you guys think about uh, the, the approach that Chelsea are taking as well. Uh, let us know before the weekend review. Uh, we will be talking about uh, everything that's going on all over Europe right now and then obviously that comes the international break for a lot of people um so it's, it's it's getting to that point in the season where we can begin to look at how teams are shaping up um 10 11 games in uh, now teams are starting to flesh out and there's there's something there that we can begin to put some uh, flesh around those bones uh chris it's been lovely to have you tonight what are you working on them or what are you writing that we can tell people about uh something on graham potter uh the Ostersons coach who um has taken a fairly unconventional path to to success and has flown in the face of Sam Allardyce's claims that there are no opportunities for English coaches. Yeah, uh, yes, because uh, that is a yeah, obviously that that's a very uh, charged statement in the first place. Um, what about uh, what about about Unica? What are you writing about? Um, maybe some things not so football related, some music and some. Uh, some general pop culture criticisms or analysis uh, and also obviously some football related content that you'll be seeing very soon so just uh, follow me on twitter if you want to see that sort of stuff at nico underscore o morales um catch nico and kristen both trolling arsenal fans this evening uh someone's just tweeted out uh tell me why jack wiltshire isn't class to which uh the tf 3 account replied i speak from experience when i say potential achievement should not be confused tonight showed neither um, we would love to hear some positive uh, views on Arsenal on the podcast. Dave's a bloody rascal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, have a go. Uh, yeah, uh, come find us on Twitter. We'd love to see you guys there. Uh, and come find us over the weekend. You can let us know your views. We can put them out through the podcast. You can share them with the community. And it'd be good to have you guys um, contributing in some way. Until Monday, uh, enjoy the weekend's football. We'll see you there. Um, and don't forget uh, to join us on the live show. Um, we'll see you guys Monday. Have a good one. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 